The Money Podcast by best-selling author of Money, Rob Moore, dives into how to make, manage, and master money. How to know more, make more, and give more. How to save, invest, and raise money. The Money Podcast is for anyone who wants to make more money in a job, profession, or passion. For money masters and money disasters. They say money doesn't make you happy. Rob says it does. Hi, it's Rob Moore here, and welcome to the Money Podcast. This podcast will dive into how to make, manage, and master money. How to know more, how to give more, how to save, invest, and raise more money. We'll go into the story of money, the history of money, the psychology of money. We'll even go into the good and the bad of money. Now, when I was 26 years old, I was in quite a lot of consumer debt. And then I became a millionaire by the age of 31. And then as I got to 35 and (laughs) nearly 40, uh, my wealth uh, grew and grew and grew. And in that time, I've been able to make some good friends who are millionaires, even a couple of billionaires. Uh, I've met economists and money masters from all walks of life, some of my mentors. Uh, I'll be interviewing many of those and some of the best people I can find on all aspects of money. Also, I've got a bit of experience now interviewing because I have my podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur, so I'll be drawing on that experience too, though this podcast will be totally different from The Disruptive Entrepreneur. So if you want to make more money in your job, in your profession, in your passion, if you're a money master already or you're a money disaster, I think this money podcast is for you. Now, most people say money doesn't make you happy. I say, yes, it does. So welcome to episode one of money. Going to start with 12 essential money management rules, concepts, tips, if you like, to help you preserve your wealth, liberate your time and that exchange of time for money, and hopefully accelerate your wealth. Some of these are tactical, some of these are conceptual, and some of these we'll dig into in more detail in further episodes. So point one, Most people won't either keep or make more money until they learn to manage what they already have. So most people are earning £5,000 a month, but spending £6,000 a month. You know, they're hoping to gain and save more money, yet their behaviours of how they spend the money that they have right now is reducing their wealth and increasing their debt. And this is both from a money management point of view, but it's also as the world perceives you. You know, if individuals who were looking to, say, lend money perceived that you weren't trustworthy or you couldn't manage your own money, they're not going to lend you money. And as such, you're not going to grow your wealth until you learn to manage well what you already have. Most people, when they're spending, are serving their values and filling their voids with their money and they can turn into addictions. Uh, Many people do spend money emotionally. They don't manage it logically um, and therefore every month they're just getting a little bit more and more in debt. So it's not really more money that most people need. It's better education on money, how to make it, manage it, master it, how to budget properly, how to understand where you're wasting your money. I'll give you an example. I spend £3.10 on a Costa coffee, medium skinny cappuccino, extra shot, I have two a day. That's £6.20 a day. What's that? Nearly 50 quid a week. Let's say as well... I or someone like me spends five pounds a day on lunch. So what's that? 35. So we're talking, what, 85? Just back of fact packet working out. Might have missed it to the odd pence for all you budgeters. But, you know, you can spend up to 100 pounds a week on eating out. Whereas if you pre-prepared coffee in a flask and, you know, you got those 
um, Tupperware, plastic tubs, and you pre-prepared your food, it might cost you 25 or 30 pounds. Now that's one example. Look at people's Sky TV, you know, where they're spending 100 pounds a month on all the channels when maybe they only need 30 of them. Imagine if you went through all your direct debits every three months and got rid of all the wastage. I'm, I'm currently sat in my studio in my house. It's a big room. And it's got loads of stuff in here I don't use. I've got all sorts of clothes. I've got my, all my old Progressive Property Stripy shirts. Got like 60 shirts in there. Uh, and some of those were hundreds of pounds. Now, if I sold every one, I'd probably get on average 35 or 40 quid on each one on eBay. Times that by, you know, 60, 70, 100. I've got suit jacket, one suit jacket there I can see that cost me 600 quid that I never wear. Uh, now, look, I'm not, I've got a Jaeger-Lecourt clock just behind me. I get 600 quid for that on eBay. So the, the, the material, items and possessions in your house, all the stuff that you don't use that sit there depreciating, you could get rid of it, save that money and grow that money. I'm going to cover a lot of how-to tips on how to do that in future podcasts. Okay, so number two then, extreme emotions, whether they're good and bad, high, manic or low, depressive, will erode your wealth. Now, you know, most human beings, we want to feel good, don't we? We want to be happy. But imagine if you felt really good all the time when you were making money decisions. You'd be, oh, I feel great. That's all right. Let's go and celebrate. And you'd go and spend money to celebrate. And oh, it doesn't matter about the overheads and the costs and the bills. I feel really happy. Go and buy some expensive clothes or cosmetics or whatever. So actually, um, you need to manage your money logically and unemotionally. If anything you become infatuated with, obsessed by, emotional about, it's likely that's going to cost you a lot of money. You know, your addictions, whether it's drugs, gambling, collecting things, um, you know, um, alleviating, alleviating other people's pain through always giving money away and always trying to support other people rather than yourself. You know, all of these things are linked to how you feel. You know, they're, um, they're voids in you, if you like. So we're all going to get elated from time to time. And I'm not saying you shouldn't get elated and enjoy that. I'm just saying, you know, don't get the credit card out when you're doing that. Um, and I'm quite an up and down kind of person. So I know I, I, I can make a lot of my buying and financial decisions, you know, when I'm emotional, high or low. And, you know, like sometimes, you know, if I've just had a big bill come out, I'll be like, oh, that depresses me. I mean, VAT, the, you know, the VAT um, bill we get every quarter at Progressive, hundreds of thousands of pounds in one day. And people say, oh, Rob, it doesn't matter because if you're paying hundreds of thousands of pounds in VAT this quarter, that means you've made millions. Doesn't make me feel any better. And if someone came to me and said, oh, could I have a purchase order to invest in this? Or could I buy this? Or, you know, would you like to invest in this? They could be good decisions that I'd make, but I'd be like, no, leave me alone. I'm not spending any money for a month. Ugh. And that's not necessarily the right decision. So it can work either way, you know, high or low. Now, I'd guess most people who are really struggling financially, they're buying things that they want rather than they need. And they're buying things to make themselves feel better about themselves, to fill their voids, whether it's spending a lot of money on cosmetics to look good or clothes to look good and feel good. Um, so really, the rule here is to isolate yourself from important money decisions in your life from uh, when you're either overly high or overly low and just get yourself in a balanced state and budget logically and stick to it. That's not to say don't celebrate, but, you know, celebrate after the real high when it's come down a little bit and, you know, just something small. Okay, um, so the third fundamental a tip, if you like, on managing and growing your wealth, um, this is a very simple one. And, you know, when I say this, you're going to kind of go, duh, perhaps. Uh, but actually, it's one of the fundamental rules of managing money. And uh, there's really no excuse for breaking this rule. And that is never spend more than you earn. <laughs> Whoa. 
So I remember when I was £50,000 in consumer debt, I bought a car loan. I'm oh, sorry, I bought a car with a car loan. I mean, I could hardly afford to get the loan, but back in those days, what would I have been in my early 20s? So before the um, recession and crash, it was you know pretty easy to get a loan. Anyone could get a loan. So I got a 10 grand loan for a car and I got this two-year-old Mazda 323 Sport. I loved that car. But I could have got a 1,000 or a 1,500 pound car and I would have you know saved a lot of money and wasted a lot less money. But, you know, I just wanted to look good and feel good. So I bought that car. Now, that car went down to about three and a half grand in no time, two or three years, I guess. And I sold the car, but all my credit cards had racked right up. So even probably I had like five credit cards and the lowest credit card would have been way more than I got for the car. And I had to buy a bike. But instead of buying a 100 quid bike, I went and bought a 750 quid bike. Um, and every month I always spent more than I earned. And I, and I always used to make this excuse. Oh, well, I can't even afford to eat and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, if I had have properly budgeted and put in a spreadsheet everything I spend, there's absolutely no doubt that, um, you know, I'd have been wasting money. I used to always go down to the designer clothes shop in Peterborough. I used to get paid £200 a week by my dad. And I'd spend 150 quid of it on a, you know, on a, on a shirt or a pair of jeans. And I, mean, I couldn't afford it. But, you know, I guess I didn't really understand the power of debt compounding. Uh, and, you know, I didn't really understand about saving money. I didn't understand about uh, getting out of debt. And these things, these fundamentals sound so simple now. But for many people across the world, and, and maybe you, it's not that simple. So the plan has to be first to get yourself out of debt. And, and on uh, the ninth point, I'm going to talk about the five um, levels. In fact, there are six, I'll add one in, of going from debt to, you know, hopefully making hundreds of thousands or even millions of pounds one day for you, or tens of millions or hundreds of millions or billions. I'm not going to judge how much money you want to make. I just want to push you to the next level. So the first thing you have to do is get yourself out of debt, which means you have to pay off your debts first. Secondly, then you have to pay yourself. And then thirdly, you have to pay all your bills afterwards. Now, most people are paying all their bills, their direct debits and everyone else first. Uh, And of course, then there's nothing left. And in fact, there's a deficit and then they get into more and more debt. Um, you know, and, and how do you do that? Well, you know, you'll set direct debits up on um, your main account where all your expenses come out of. Now, if you're a property investor, and I have a lot of people following me from Progressive Property and listening to the Progressive Property podcast, I'd have your portfolio of properties in a separate bank account um, because obviously you've got different expenses, incoming and outgoing. Um, and of course, if you run a business, you obviously want a separate business account. That goes without saying. Um, but for your main personal expenses, you only need one account. Um, but you should have at least two other bank accounts. You should have a save and never touch account, SANT, save and never touch, which will be number eight in this list. Uh, and then you should have a an account for general savings and irregular shocks. Now, let's say you've got debt of credit cards. Let's say you've got 10 grand worth of debt or even 50 grand worth of debt. It doesn't really matter. On the first of every month or, or immediately on your payday, like the same day or a day after, you direct debit out something to your save and never touch. And you do that with an amount you can afford. Now, I know some people will say they can't afford that, but stay with me. Uh, and then you direct debit out some into your other savings account. Because um, one, you're never going to touch. And there's a reason for that. And some people say, well, what's the point of saving in an account where you're never going to touch it? There is a point. There's a very important point. And so then you save for a savings account where you probably will touch at some point for irregular shocks, for things that go wrong, or you know when you've built up enough of a pot in savings that actually you want to start getting a better return from some of it, so you invest it. And then a, you know, a third standing order, if you like, or at least make sure you pay this immediately, is start chopping off your credit cards. And now you always go for the biggest debt first. 
Now, a mistake a lot of people make is, let's say they've got five credit cards and let's say, you know, their minimum payment is £50 a month on each. They'll pay £50 off on each. So they'll pay £250 off. Um, but if one of those credit cards were 30% and one of those was 0% for six months, you should pay as much as you can on the biggest debt and as little as you can on the le- least or zero debt because debt compounds just like money compounds. So the largest debt you have, you want to pay it off first and fast. All right then. So number four is to save a percentage target of your income and increase it over time. So let's say after my last point, you were thinking that, well, you know what, Rob, Um, I might be earning five grand, but I'm spending six. So, you know, your initial exercise is to get out every single one of your expenses and itemize everything and look at what you can cut. Now, most people think that they can't cut expenses, but they can. So I'm going to come to that um, target percentage that you're going to save in a moment. I did a um, pilot for Channel 4, which may become uh, a primetime TV show, where I was one of three money experts, coaches, if you like. uh, And um, there were various couples in different um, degrees of debt and money troubles and worries that came to meet us. They would come into this like interrogation room, they initially called it, but I think they changed the name of that. Who wants to get interrogated? Um, And there were cameras all set up around, you know, a bit like Big Brother. And we'd sit on one side of the desk and they'd sit on the other. And me and one of the other money experts. So there was a chap who um, spent, uh, I think, what, 25 years of his career working in the benefits agencies and helping advise people on, you know, how to... um, you know, get benefits and to various allowances that they might be able to get, like disability allowance or, you know, whatever other um, help from the state they might get. And he'd worked in there for sort of 25 years. And they had me as the the kind of successful entrepreneur who'd got out of debt and made millions for himself. And and so people would come uh, with their problems. And of course, as we interrogated them more and more and more, you'd find out that there was this credit card they didn't say and that credit card and that bill and this bill and that bill. Now, before that, Um, We were in another room, the investigation room, uh, and this was just private to us. And we had cameras where we could see into the interrogation room. And our job was to go through all their credit card statements, all their bills, everything that they'd sent us because we'd asked them to send it before. And then go on Experian and try and find all their credit cards and do credit, you know, um, just look at their overall credit footprint, if you like, and investigate maybe where they'd either told some lies or they hadn't managed their money well. Or maybe we could dig and find some debts that they had, some history. And there was one couple who itemized all their spending and they said they, they spent, on average, £2,450 a month. And I took six random statements uh, and six random credit card statements and worked out in 10 minutes, it was actually 4000 and something per month. So they perceived that they were spending 2000 and a half, not even. Um, and actually, they were spending 60 or 70% more. Uh, and there was a lot of uh, money that had, got, that had gone out that hadn't been accountable for. And I reckon it's the same with you. I, would, uh, I um, had a mentorship that I ran at my boardroom house, in my house in the boardroom, um, just yesterday. And um, one of the chaps there, who's doing pretty well, he's making a few hundred grand a year, he's one of my mentees. He said he's worked out he's got eight grand a month that he's spending that he doesn't need to, that's kind of unaccounted for, it's just a waste. He's got this holiday home he's never stayed in. He's got these various things that he's accrued over time. 
Um, and, you know, over time you build expenses, but you don't necessarily, you know, continue to use the thing that you put an expense on or, you know, you just should reshuffle and reorganize, you know, all of your overheads. So, step, you know, you need to itemize everything. You probably want someone to help you um, who's not you, who won't justify all of your spending, your expenses. Don't get a skinned person to do it. Get someone who actually knows what they're doing with money. Um, and your step one is to save or 5% of your total income. Now, let's say you're spending 125% of your income. And even with all your expenses, because you've got, you know, you've got to pay for uh, childcare and, you know, maybe you've got a divorce and you've got a lot of overheads going on there and you've got a big mortgage and you literally can't get them down. You can only get it down to 110%. Then what you have to do is go and earn an extra 15%. So do some overtime, get some commissions, set up a, you know, a second part-time income, sell a load of stuff for the first few months to get the money in. And you have to drive. So you either drive the expenses down or the income up. And your step one for month one, two and three is ideally to get to spending 95% and saving 5%. And two and a half percent, so 50% of the 5% might go in the save and never touch. And two and a half percent, might go in the general savings account, or you might put a third off your debt, a third in the save and never touch, and a third in your general savings account. Now, if your debt is large and you've got big debt, because some people have got quite a lot of debt, but they've maybe got nine months or 12 months payment holiday, you know, 0% interest free for 12 months, then you can save some. Um, but if you've got a lot of debt, I would put most of your savings straight into the debt first to just get rid of it, especially, like I said, the highest debt first. Now, after three months, you could probably earn a little bit more, even if it's just two to five percent, and you could probably save a little bit more. And let's just say it's one and a half percent either way, and then you go from five percent to seven or eight percent of uh, you know of savings and ninety three percent of your all your general spending. And over time, you can you know basically push the income up, pull the expenses down, and um, I. Once I got to like 99% or 95% spending versus earning, that was like a really liberating feeling. And whilst I was looking at all this, um, when I say all this, this, you know, this very small amount of savings that I was saving every month, I was kind of thinking, well, it's going to take me like 28 millennia to have this actually becoming any money. But it's the behavior and it's the fact that you've got control of your expenses and you've, you know, you've reversed the growing of the debt. Um, and actually, you'll be surprised how it compounds. And, you know, it must start at 50 quid, then 70 quid, then 100 quid, then 125 quid, then 150 quid, then 200 quid. And of course, each month you're building on that. And over time, that can be a significant amount of money. I remember the time as well. And I guess I was in my early, my late 20s um, where I got it to 50 percent of what I earn, I spend. And that was an amazing feeling to know that you're saving half of what you earn every month. Now, there are two ways to do that. That's to really earn a lot of money and earn well, or it is to completely reduce your overhead. A lot of people are living in a house that's too big for their needs. They've got too many cars or cars on car loans. So I'll leave it to you which way you're going to do it. Because sometimes when you reduce all the overhead down and live a lean life, that can be nice. That can be minimal. You, you know, you can, you know, when you've just got too many things and too much clutter and too many bills and, too, you know, it can be very chaotic and stressful. There's a lot to be said for minimizing a lot of that. I remember at one point I had 14 cars. I had one car I loved, a 750 brake GTR. And um, I, di- I didn't pay that much for, a, got, got such good value for the car. I ended up making six and a half thousand pounds when I sold it as well. 
And I just loved that car. It was 0 to 60 in 2.8 seconds, but it just sat outside. And at that time, um, because I bought a house to develop, I didn't have a garage and it just sat out there. And of course, in the winter, the rain, the snow, it just basically started to decay. And I drove it 1,500 miles a year, but I couldn't get myself to sell it because I loved that car. It was matte black. Um, you know, it growled. I loved it. And in the end, I thought, what's the point in keeping it 1,500 miles a year? And those 1,500 miles a year were just running it around the block so that the engine didn't seize up. Selling that, you know, getting nearly 40 grand for that, um, you know, that, that was a liberation. You know, when you have the drum kits, but you don't play the drums, you have all these old stuff like bikes and things that you don't use. So I love every it was sort of twice a year, just getting rid of all the, all the clutter, um, you know, to, to, to liberate yourself. It's, it, it feels freeing. And, you know, this minimalism is quite a, an in thing at the moment. Uh, there is a lot to be said for that. But, and this is the but, when you drop your overhead right down and live a humble life, that's cool. That's good. You, everyone needs to go through that, by the way. You need to, you know, you need to keep your feet on the ground, stay grounded. So if you've got yourself in a bad financial position, you've got yourself a bit overinflated, you need to be humb- humiliated, humbleized, brought back down to earth. And going through that for a year or two is certainly no harm. But you don't have the hunger and drive to go and earn a lot more money. And certainly, I, uh, from time to time, a couple of times a year, I like to take a big, big drawing out of my company it's in retained profits, but big lumps. Um, because as much as, you know, paying yourself your regular is nice and then a little bit of a drawing on top, a couple of big lumps two or three times a year, because then that fills the hunger in me to go and push the turnover up, to push the margin up, to go and cre- create a new course or create a new product or, or put a new service out to the world that people value and drive the turnover up. So you know, earn, income going up and um, costs going down is a differential. Um, and now I would say I'm probably at about 25 to 30 percent. Uh, you know, and I live a pretty opulent lifestyle. It's not like I just, you know, like um, pick fag butts off, off the floor and go down KFC and lick people's fingers to get by. You know, like I've got a decent lifestyle. Um, just bought a £175,000 car and that's just for the wife. It's a little, uh, well, it's a little, a big family Panamera Turbo S. Not to 60 in 3.3 seconds. But the point is, I could quite have easily have afforded, um, you know, a quarter of a million pound car or a £300,000 car. But I went for one, five months old, um, you know, and and, and well within my means. Um, And uh, so make sure that you live within your means. Uh, And then when you get down to sort of 25, 30 percent, it'll almost be like even if you wanted to spend all the money and you wanted just to see if you could spend 110 percent of your income, it would be really hard. Now, at one point, my business partner said he'd got it down to like 17 percent. Um, I'd got mine down below that, but then I had kids. Um, and of course, having kids is um, very expensive if you've got a wife as well who likes handbags. Anyway, um, I'm not talking about my wife in this podcast. Uh, so, yeah. So um, set that target income and maybe every three months look to push it a little bit, push it a little bit. 95% spend to earn ratio, 90%, 85%, 80%. By the way, one thing that will happen when you start to manage your money better is your, your self-worth will go up. You will feel valuable. You'll feel important. You'll know that you've got skills. You're, you know, 50% of marriages that end, end in divorce and more than 50% of those, the reason why is money problems. 
So, you know, people say money doesn't buy happiness. Well, um, money in and of itself may not buy happiness on its own. But what I can tell you this is if you have a lack of money and money problems, that will exaggerate your pains because money tends to exaggerate our traits. It exaggerates our addictions. It exaggerates our gifts. You know, so if we if you give a lot of money to someone who, um, you know, gives a lot of money away, they'll give more money away. If you give a lot of money to someone who's got an addiction, they'll feed the addiction. If you give a lot of money away to someone who's in debt, they'll probably get them more in debt. If you gave a lot of money to Warren Buffett, he'd probably make 7% compounded return, um, you know, for the rest of his life. Um, so, you know, money simply doesn't, it doesn't change us. It simply exaggerates our traits. All right, then. So next, make sure that you invest money. If you're in the UK in your ISA every year, or, you know, you have the 401k in America or whatever country you're in where you can get tax breaks in, in essentially saving or investing accounts. So in the UK, um, you have an ISA where you can invest now uh, more than £15,000 a year and it's tax free until you draw it. And of course, you're going to draw it many years later in life. And when you draw it, you can pull out a certain amount of it tax free. Um, so it's very um, tax effective, but it also, because there's, no, there's not the tax on it, it grows and compounds a lot more as well. Because if you imagine you have to keep chopping 25, 30 and 40% off your money, it would reduce the compounding. So make sure every year you feed money into those. Now, I've been doing that for nine years now. Um, but, you know, I've only been managing money well for 11. And I wish I'd started that 20 years ago. Or It was about that long ago that they designed them. Um, and, and I wish I'd have been doing it then because there are now ISA millionaires where just in their ISAs, they've got more than a million pounds. Now, I, I, my goal with my ISAs is to save and never touch it. So it's one of my various save and never touch accounts. Uh, and the goal would be to never draw it, but turn the income on at one stage. So I reinvest the dividends and the profits that it makes. Just there's an accumulation button. I use Hargreaves Lansdowne. You press the accumulation button and any draw, any dividends or any um, profit that you make, it rolls back in and reinvests it automatically. And then um, when I um, was with my wife, then girlfriend, but wife long enough to feel that, you know, we were going to make it forever. I opened an ISA in her name and put maxed that out. And then when Bobby was born, I opened an ISA in his name and maxed that out. Uh, and then when Ariana was born, I opened an ISA in her name and maxed that out. Uh, and uh, over time, that will grow significantly. Now, when interest rates are high, you might want it in cash. When interest rates are low, you can actually have it in a, in a fund and you can manage it through something like Hargreaves Lansdowne. You can self-manage it. Um, I personally don't think that you should have an IFA manage your money. I do think you should get smart money advice from very successful, wealthy people. And I'm not criticizing IFAs and don't say that, saying they don't have a place. But, you know, why would you learn English and maths and science at school, but not learn how to budget money, how to save money, how to invest money, how to spend money wisely? how to invest wisely, how to speculate, how to diversify and how to insure and how to grow your wealth. And we're not taught this stuff in school. This is one of the reasons why I set up my new uh, Rob Moore Foundation to help underprivileged people and young entrepreneurs learn how to make, manage and master money, learn how to set up their own businesses and take control of their financial life. And, and the biggest thing we lack is not the amount of money because there's more than enough money flowing through the entire system across the world. If you divided it equally, it, there would be more than a million pound per person. Um, so it's education. Money tends to move from those who value it least to those who value it most. Money tends to move from those who know how to make, manage and master it. It moves from those that don't know how to make and manage and master it to those that do. 
Now, I'm not criticising those that can't manage money and don't know because many people across the world haven't been taught. I mean, there are three billion people that don't even have an internet connection. Uh, but we're lucky, aren't we, in this world? You're listening to this podcast. You haven't paid any money for it. Um, you know, we all have access to the internet in the developed countries. Uh, you know, we have good sanity, healthcare, access to information through YouTube podcasts. You know, you know, we can we can meet successful entrepreneurs. We can message them on Instagram and get lunches with them. And, you know, you can, you can get mentors paid or free, all these online programs. There's in fact, there's probably an abundance of information. Some people now, like the first world problem of the current um, climate we're in, is overwhelmed. There's just too much information. I can't handle it, Rob. I mean, uh, there's too many money-making strategies and too many books and audios and podcasts and courses. I don't know what to do. Um, that's very much a first world problem. Okay, anyway, I digress. Um, make sure you max out your ISAs every year now. Um, you learn the basic fundamentals of managing money. And the partner to this podcast uh, is my book, Money, which became um, a national bestseller in the UK. It's being translated into many uh, languages as we speak. I've just had about four deals come through on my publisher, from my publisher. Uh, I just read someone online said that it's the most comprehensive dive on money in any book they've read or any information anywhere. So I'm very happy about that. Um, and so get yourself educated, which you're doing now, uh, and you'll find that you won't need someone else to advise you to where to put your money. You will be able to do it yourself. Uh, why not go and set up a Hargreaves Lansdowne account or some other provider where on an app and on your laptop, you can invest your money into cash ISAs, stock ISAs. You can put it into individual stocks, into funds, into bonds, etc. Go and set the account up, have a play first and experiment with 50 quid here and there. You know, sometimes it's just good to know how the system works. You know, the actual pro platform that you're using. When I went into Bitcoin for the first time, using Coinbase and using Bitstamp was like a minefield. It was just so impossible to use. So I just put 10 grand in to start with, which for me is, you know, not enough money that it wouldn't make any difference even if. It, I got scammed. I wouldn't want to. I'll put in enough so that, you know, it's a nice watch. So I'd, I'd, I'd obviously not saying I'd just chuck it away and value money. Um, but it was a small amount. And so I just tested moving the money from my bank to this bank, which is in a European country. And there's all these strange numbers and um, this strange looking website that looks like it's something from 1984, a pre-internet website. Oh, where's my money going? Oh, it's actually there a week later. Oh, that's a relief. And then moving it across into various accounts and then into Bitcoin, then back out of Bitcoin and into euros and into Bitcoin and back into dollars and blah, blah, blah. And it took me a good few weeks to work out how to use the platforms and how the money moved properly. You can do that with Hargreaves Lansdowne. But ultimately, you're building towards you being your own IFA, you know, you managing your money because no one will manage your money better than you. And you hear all these schemes and scams of people taking your money and investing it badly um, because, you know, so, and sometimes they don't always intend to. I'm not saying everyone who loses money is a scammer, but they just probably don't care about your money like you do. Uh, they don't take the care and attention that you would. Um, they're sometimes incentivized to get commissions and therefore they'll advise you on the biggest commission investment rather than the right investment for you. Um, so, you know, start now in learning how to handle all of your own money. Okay, the next one then, number six, and look, we're nearly 30 minutes in. So what I might do is make this a two-parter and do the other six in a second episode. All right, so number six then is invest in assets that pay passive income and then reinvest some of that income back into assets. 
Now, passive income is quite a contentious phrase. Uh, and some people think that passive income absolutely is achievable and other people think passive income is completely unachievable. Now, I believe the balance is somewhere in the middle where you, you, know, you have to work hard enough not to have to work hard and you have to set to forget. Um, but Slade wrote A Christmas Number One in the 1970s and you're probably singing that song now. You know that song. And they've been making £500,000 a year since 1970-something off that one song. That is all passive income royalties from radio, from TV, from, you know, um, iTunes or every single, you know, music platform will be playing that song. And they'll be getting multiple streams of income from that one song on multiple platforms. You know, that's essentially an asset for them. Now, uh, Slade probably for 10 years gigged in pretty dingy pubs and, you know, they would, certainly would have had a few albums out probably before that song. So they had to work hard enough not to have to work hard. Now, I'd love to write a Christmas number one. I'd do a John Barnes Anfield rap if I could get 500 grand a year at Christmas for it. Unfortunately, I don't have those talents. But the point is um, that Warren Buffett says, if you don't make money while you sleep, you'll be working for the rest of your life. And it absolutely is possible to make passive income. If you create intellectual property, I'm going to do lots of episodes on passive income and the debate and what assets to set up. You know, I get passive income from all of my books. I'm, I'm now writing my 11th book. And by the way, six of them are on Audible now. So I actually have 17 different assets that all produce passive income. Now, even if each one of them only provided a grand a month and they provide more, that would be 17 grand a month from books and audio books. Uh, you know, and, and, and my properties are assets that pay passive income and my businesses are assets. Now, sometimes the income is, is active to start with. Sometimes, like if you're a property investor, you get tenants and you, you, know, you, you get a nice grace period of quite a few months where the properties are all just let and the letting agents behaving themselves and the tenants are even behaving themselves. And it's all good. And then six months in, you know, you have a couple of boilers go or a couple of tenants trust the place and, place and leave. So really creating passive income is set to forget setting up a system so that the system manages the assets so that you don't have to. And then every 6, 12, 18 months, something might go wrong that you have to fix or you get a manager to fix. And every now and again, you want to do random spot checks. Uh, so, you know, the things that you're doing in your day and your week, are you creating an asset out of it? Now, this podcast is an asset for me. This is the first episode of my podcast, Money. And if I get a 1,000 episodes or 5,000 episodes, you know, for the next 5, 10 years people are going to be continually hearing this episode. And I would have recorded this episode five or 10 years ago. And I see content, um, you know, your message as an asset. I just did a talk today for uh, 75 of our highest paying VIP clients. Now they've paid us between six and a half thousand pound plus VAT. So what's that? Just over 8,000 and up to 50,000 pound plus VAT because, you know, they're our best customers and they've bought our highest value products and they get mentored, some of them by me personally. But I've already had that revenue. And this event is, a, is part of um, delivering the, the, you know, the, what for what they've paid for. But uh, sorry if you can hear the kids in the background, by the way. They'll make plenty of noise. Um, but what I did was recorded the talk. It was about an hour's talk. And it was called How to Build Your Empire. And it's nine ways to build your empire. And I recorded that talk. So now me speaking to already paying clients... And recording that talk, I now have an asset because I could put that on iTunes and sell that for 15, 20 quid a pop. And if I sold, you know, 10,000, 50,000 of them, you can do the maths. Um, I could put it on Udemy and that might sell for 25 or 30 quid as like an online course. 
Um, I could repurpose it for LinkedIn and for Facebook, and um, I could put it in my Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast, which I might do in the future. So what I'm trying to say is when you exchange your time, try and exchange your time for something that could also be an asset, not just exchanging your time for money. And, you know, anything can create passive residual benefit if you either invest your time in something that is an asset like a property or, you know, you um, make money and you invest it wisely or you set up a business or you have some intellectual property or if you have a patent or you create a product. But also, if you write a system and a process um, so that you could leverage the work out that you do to build this or manage this asset to someone else, an outsourcer, a VA, a PA, a staff member, a manager, then if you've extricated your time for it, even if it's not a, a passive investment because it takes work and management and um, someone to you know run a process on it, if it's not you, it's passive income for you. And then it's really important as you build your passive income to reinvest some of that back into creating more assets. Now, what I tend to do is retire a lot, get bored and then come out of retirement a lot. And I tend to have lots to do or nothing to do or lots to do or nothing to do. And that seems to be my personality up, down, high, low, you know, ding dong. Um, And so each time I freed up, you know, a few weeks here and there, I'll end up filling that time by doing new podcasts or writing a new book. Um, I've got a book called Make Cash in a Property Market Crash that I wrote um, when the, the crash happened in the UK and it's been updated since then, but it's not on Audible. And I've missed out in hundreds of thousands of pounds in sales uh, from, you know, one book that I haven't got on audio probably in the last five years or more. So that needs to be converted into an audio book. So then that becomes an, another stream of income. Now, You've got knowledge in your head that could become an asset. You just don't know how to get it out. You don't value it or, you know, you don't have to know how to create an asset out of it. If you created online e-commerce site, you know, which went with, you know, your physical shop, if you have a physical shop or if you set up an e-commerce site on Amazon and Shopify and eBay and you started selling products on there. You could source some, you could uh, white label some, you know, you buy these white label products and you brand them yourself or you just buy products and sell them at a profit or you sell all of your stuff and build a little pot to then reinvest back into creating more product. Again, you're building an, an asset that, that, you know, that, that, that can sell online in 220 or 30 countries around the world overnight. And you know, when you have property investments or you have e-commerce online businesses or you have books or products and you're able to log into PayPal or your payment gateway and see that you've made one or 10 or 50 sales in that time. You know, when I get all the commission checks from Amazon, sometimes they're decent chunks of money. My last um, commission check from Amazon for money, just the physical book was £35,000. Um, I got paid just about that same, but it was in dollars. So about $35,000 as an advance for one of the translation rights. Now, that in and of itself isn't a huge amount of money to me personally, but it's a lot of money for that particular asset. Apparently, I am the highest paid advance for a non-fiction book in the whole of Hachette, which is the second biggest publisher in the world. Uh, And so, you know, know, like, even though, like I said, I've got watches that are worth a lot more than that, it's like I've got to be happy with that. Um, And, you know, the, the writing of a lot of these books were done one year, three years, five years ago. Um, Think and Grow Rich has been selling since, what, the 30s or 40s, I think. Um, and that's the in the top 15 most selling books of all time. Uh, that's making posthumous money for Napoleon Hill, probably for his foundation and his family. 
And the book The Alchemist, which is also in the top 10, you know, these would have sold like 100 million plus copies. Um, you know, they're, they're creating income for decades to come. So how can you look at everything that you do uh, and think, how can I make an asset out of this time? How can I create this product, this service, this, you know, this sales call, this job, this part-time thing that I'm doing, this work, how can I turn it into an asset? Now, if you're always earning an hourly rate, you know, and if you're working in a job and you get paid at the end of the month and you get paid for your hours, and if you have to do our overtime, you know, you get paid a bit more for more hours, then that's not an asset. Because if you become ill or resentful or you have a change of career or something, you know, random happens in your life that, you know, you couldn't work so much or you lost the desire, then you have no assets, you have no income. All right, fine. So the one, I'm going to cover these ones in the next episode because we're at nearly 40 minutes now. So I hope you've found these useful so far. So we're going to cover in the next episode, um, the save and never touch bank account, how, why and what. I'm going to cover the six levels of growing wealth, which is um, getting out of debt, saving, investing, speculating, diversifying and insuring. And I'm going to go into quite a lot of detail on that section. That might be 15 or 20 minutes on its own. Then I'm going to talk about where I think you can um, get these little hacks, if you like, um, to, you know, to save money and what it equates to. Uh, and that's number 10 and number 11. Uh, and then number 12 is all about the balancing of risk. And you probably know my mantra is if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. So how to take calculated risks and balance upside and downside risk. So thanks for tuning in to The Money Podcast. Uh, and um, we've got a lot of special episodes coming soon. Um, I think you'll enjoy them. And uh, yeah, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.